Doc's Watch is meant for entertainment purposes only and not, I repeat, not meant to give medical advice or diagnosis. Always consult your doctor and not your podcast host if you have a medical question, concern, or ailment. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Doc's Watch, the show where real doctors tell you what's real, what's not, and what's maybe possible in your favorite movies and TV shows. I'm Dr. Jen. And I'm Dr. Deepa. This episode is all about blood. You need it, and you should try to keep it inside your body. And we finally talk about the thing that we've been teasing for a long time now. Can you give T-Rex blood to a velociraptor? Plus, we'll also discuss milk transfusions, why you shouldn't blindly stab people, and unnecessary clone plot lines. Enjoy. Okay, Deepa, let's go to rounds. So we're talking about blood today. Blood. And so the first thing I think we should talk about a little bit is the ridiculous history of blood transfusions. I will say, when you look at the history of things like, so the history of blood is like, one of the quintessential histories in medicine. Because blood people did blood transfusions. Both. Both. That's true. Blood first and then blood transfusions after. Because people used to ascribe so many crazy things to blood. Right. It was like what contained your madness. Yeah, you know well, what it contained I mean? everything. It's All like vitality, humors. life force. Remember when medicine was just about like humors treating your humors and elements? And your humor's being out of balance? Yes. Imagine what it was like when people actually started figuring out what blood does, which is basically everything. Probably mind-blowing. Yeah. So a lot of, I will say, one thing that we'll put in the liner notes is I highly recommend this one book that's about the history of blood, essentially, and blood transfusions. It's called Blood Work by Holly Tucker. Mm -hmm. And so she chronicles a lot of the... Kind of scandalous, actually, history of blood transfusions. Scandalous. So we're just going to hit some of the high notes because we don't Lots have a lot of time. Lots of things were done without consent in the early days of medicine. That's, yes. <laughs> Not just for blood transfusions, but for everything. Yes. Um, so in the early 1600s, in 1628, a doctor named William Harvey described the circulatory system. Guy with two first names. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I didn't even think. <laughs> or the possibly OG. two last, last names. names. Oh, no. <laughs> he published a book called The Anatomical Account of the Motion of the Heart and Blood. I'm not going to let you just not say it in except Latin. Except it was in Latin. Okay, I'm going to give it a shot. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Exercitatio anatomica de motu cordis et sanguinis in animalibus. All right. I'll take it. Which is like, I don't know if that first word is exer exercic. Catio or exercise? Yeah, you can't do it either. So, Tasho. I don't think it's Tasho. <laughs> I don't know. I took Spanish. I took Latin. Okay, so I should. Well, do, yeah, you should I should have done a better job, but that was like years and years ago. All right. Anyway, anyway. Um, and so he did a lot of animal studies. He looked at fish, reptiles, pigeons. Did a lot of dissections, um, and basically described the heart and the movement of the heart. And the That's pumping action means. of the heart and how blood moves around in veins and arteries. He did not know what capillaries were. That's okay. They're very small. <laughs> but he had, he had a <laughs> how different... How was he supposed to see that? He had kind of a different theory about how capillaries, like something to replace capillaries, basically mostly diffusion. But he did a really, really good job describing the circulatory system. And then... 
at around the, I didn't write down the date for this, which I should have done, but probably shortly thereafter in the 1700s, I want to say. I think it's still in the 1600s. Christopher oh, Wren was the first person to do an intravenous injection. Okay. Um, which he did with basically a hollow quill attached to like a little bladder that you got out of an animal that you blow up and fill oh, with like air. an actual literal bladder. Mm-hmm. Not obviously wouldn't be like a rubber. No. Not like a little sucker that you use for like little babies. Not like a sterile rubber thing. No. Okay. Nope. So a little literal actual bladder. I think all of this was before Lister. So. Oh, it was. Yeah. Um, and he did. He also did a cut down, which we'll kind of talk about a little bit later. Mm, yes. So this was one of the first times that he actually directly inserted something into a vein, but he did it via doing a cut down. Critical to the rest of medicine. Yeah. Um, experiments in the 1600s when they were kind of talking about blood transfusion after the circulatory system was described, a lot of experiments were done transfusing blood between animals. So a lot of like dog to dog transfusions, um, and then also between different kinds of animals. And then they started transfusing blood to people, initially animal to people in the 1660s in England and France, as they were trying to figure out whether or not this was a thing that they could do. Presumably treating them for something. Treating them for all sorts of things. So their madness. Madness for kind of like depression is what it sounds like. Oh. For just being kind of under the weather for so that fevers. They could be happy as a lamb. Yep. I mean, this is in the time when doing leeches was like a big thing. They did leeches for everything. Yeah, fair. So it's kind of the same idea. Well, the first transfusion to a person was done by a man named Jean Baptiste Dennis. I'm not pronouncing it's the last probably name. Correctly. It's Denny. French. Yeah, that's probably true. Honestly. I don't speak French. I don't speak French Um, Who gave small amounts of lamb's blood to people. How small? Like, pretty small, because the first few people that he gave it to did totally fine and arguably thought they felt better. Mm -hmm. And so, like, retrospectively, people were like, it was probably a negligible amount because they didn't have any reactions to it, which you would expect because it's a completely foreign substance. It is a, what we call xenotransfusion and then later because it's from an animal yes that's right an animal to a human or different species in general is a xenotransfusion oh that's right different species um later on he kind of abducted a mentally ill man great and transfused calf's blood into him against his will is my understanding interesting that he's only using baby animals blood he might presumably they're easier to restrain uh, okay. I'll buy it. <laughs> you sound very skeptical. I'm just thinking, you know, because one of the ideas is that, like, babies don't have as much of an immune system. Sure. So you don't have as many antibodies and stuff, sure. which we'll get to later. Uh-huh. So maybe he was inadvertently actually transfusing his patients with less immunogenic less... Does blood. that matter if it's a different species, though? I, I don't know. You're... <laughs> Asking questions. I no. feel like it doesn't. I could not do I a study. I think you're ascribing a lot of, you're giving this man a lot of credit. I, I probably am. I'm giving a man who kidnapped a mentally ill man. And transfused calves blood into him. And then he died. That's bad. That was bad. And, and this person got tried for murder. Oh, and then was shoot. later acquitted because as it turned out, possibly this man's husband, the dead man's husband, I mean, wife, sorry, was poisoning him with arsenic. Uh, wait. Yeah. So did the blood transfusion kill him? The blood transfusion killed him. Well, 
it seems like the blood transfusion killed him, but the but doctor the was acquitted because the arsenic help. poisoning was also a factor. So that's wow. why Holly, talk about having bad luck. Holly Tucker talks about this whole thing in her book, and the sub like the subtitle of her title is A Tale of Medicine and Murder in the Scientific Revolution. And it's basically because it's a full of stuff like this. Like there was a lot of political stuff, a lot of weird scandal, a lot of kidnapping and forced transfusions. Um, in any event, successful human-to-human transfusions happened in the 1800s. Um, the first one was for postpartum hemorrhage by, I did not write down Blundell. the name, but you remember what it is. James Blundell. And then hemophilia later. Yes. James Blundell. He took four ounces of blood from the husband of a patient with postpartum hemorrhage, put it in a syringe, and put it in his patient. And she didn't die. It was also only four ounces. It was only so at four least ounces, there was that. Which is 120 milliliters. Right. Approximately. A typical unit of blood that you would get in a hospital is on the order of like 300 to 400 milliliters, probably. Each unit of blood that is a slightly right. different amount. Right. Because uh, it's, it's not an exact amount that you get. But if you're having significant postpartum hemorrhage, you can pretty much replace as much blood as you're getting out back in yeah. with units. So it's not even a unit of blood, so maybe a third of a unit. And people did understand that blood was important because in the 1800s, they also started transfusing other things to look for a blood substitute. So they also tried to transfuse milk. Oh, I did read that. Like the milk, milk transfusion. cow's milk. Yes, because they were trying to figure out ways to Im- like increase your intravascular volume. Right. So they would use, yes, the sheep, the milk for a long time. <laughs> and I was like, work, imagine that. Which worked very poorly. And then I think they finally figured out how to use like water and saline and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, they switched that. to saline because of all of the adverse reactions that happened with the milk transfusions. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. And then in the middle of all of that, the one of the heroes of medicine, Joseph Lister, figures out... Germs. Germs. Yeah. They're bad. You should wash your hands. <laughs> That's really what he figured Germs out. are bad. Wash your hands. That's the first two years of medical school. Which everybody was very resistant to that idea. Yeah. Do you know who actually came up with the <clears throat> hand washing thing? No. If you want to read a story about an interesting guy, okay. Ignaz Semmelweis. Oh, that's right. That's right. Who figured out that the um, the uh, pregnant women who were being delivered by the doctors mm-hmm. were having higher rates of infection than the pregnant women who were being delivered by like midwives. nurses or midwives. Yeah, by the, the midwives. And he was like, why is this happening? And it was because the midwives were washing their hands. And it was and also the because the doctors not. were going from cadaver yes. dissections into to deliveries. deliveries. And so he figured that whole thing out. But if you I read there's a there's a book called I think it's called The Doctors or just Doctors. It's like a history of medicine. Okay. And the chapter on Semmelweis I was like assigned to for some reason in med school. I don't remember what it was. Okay. But this guy it's like a book report. It literally was something like that. But this guy had such low confidence in himself and like a lot of like self-hate that it took him a really long time to like publish his findings yeah. because he just like didn't think he deserved it and he thought he was stupid imposter and dumb. Imposter syndrome he had is really, ubiquitous. He had really intense imposter syndrome and oh he was gosh. like even though other people and he like had a lot of depression and like all that kind of stuff too. Who doesn't? But like basically he had made like probably a one of the most critical medical discoveries of all time. Yeah. Maybe they didn't know it then. Saved so many lives. But he 
also just couldn't get his act together. They had to know it a little bit then because the effects were pretty instantaneous. Right. When they when they switched. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And his numbers were way better. Oh, and then just really important, because this comes up later, blood types were discovered in the 1900s. Yes. In 1900. So literally, like, from 1660s up to 1900, we were just transfusing blood willy-nilly. They had no idea of blood types, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So why are we talking about blood to begin with? For one thing, it's very important. It takes oxygen from your lungs to the rest of your body, and all your cells need oxygen. It also has a bunch of other things in it, but we're going to focus on... Like the red blood cells, mm-hmm. which look like, what do you think they look like? They look like donuts with the hole filled right. in. Donuts with like a, yeah. Instead of a hole, it's a depression. Yes. Yeah. And blood fe- blood and especially blood transfusion feature in a lot of movies, TV shows. It's always like, because blood is visually very like, it's it has, it's very visually rich, right? It's yeah. like so red. It has a lot of symbolism attached. Has a lot of like feelings attached. Yeah, and like yeah. when you see somebody with either blood on them or coming out of them, you instantly know <laughs> you like, understand that person that is having a problem. <laughs> yeah, and you're we like, this is bad. It. I can see blood on the screen. Something bad is happening. Yeah, yeah. And so we're gonna talk about two specific things: Mad Max. There's yep. a scene in Mad Max, and then later on, a scene in Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Yes, that was the original thing that made us think about blood transfusions as yeah. a topic. So, Jen, why don't you talk about this scene in Mad Max? Okay. And maybe give a little background because there was I have not seen Mad Max since it first came out. And we're I mean, talking me about <laughs> we're talking about the Mad Max Fury that Red. recently came out. Yeah. Mad Max Fury Road. Fury specifically. Road. Not the one from the 80s. I don't even know if I've 100% I've seen, seen that one. I or haven't. if I did it was a long time ago. I mean, I've saw this one a while ago too. Yeah. But in any event, um Arguably, Mad Max Fury Road is all about blood because Mad Max, it starts with Mad Max being a blood bag for one. I forget. I want to say it's Nux for one of the war boys. Some kind of dystopian thing. Yeah, where because Mad Max has, is a universal donor. Yes. I don't know how they know that. They must have some kind of blood typing if they know. I mean, they must somewhere, but it doesn't seem like they would based on. Well, the other know, thing that you could do. Is you can just if you were to just mix his blood with other people's blood, you're giving you could the figure war out if a it, lot of credit if it clumps or not. I mean, I guess probably there's That's, a scientist in there somewhere. There's a way. Yeah, they they just no way they build those cars and there's not a scientist. That's true. That's a good point. Um, that's not. We're not actually going to talk about Max, or we're going to talk about Furiosa. So the scene that we that is Charlize Theron. Yes, with short buzz cut black hair. I mean, she looks pretty badass in this movie. Yeah. Um, but the scene that we're talking about is, I believe, towards the end, but I don't remember exactly. But Furiosa is basically, they're they're in a fight with the war boys. Um, this is, like, the battle that has all of those poles where they're, like, launching themselves oh, from yeah, car yeah, to yeah. car. Yeah. Um, and she is holding onto Max's ankle. She's hanging out of a window, holding onto Max, Max's foot. Like, he's hanging upside down. And a warboy manages to get up onto their rig and just straight up stabs her with a rusty knife, like right in her right side. Okay. And I tried to figure out exactly where this was, which was kind of difficult because of her positioning, but like based on her costume. Okay. And kind of like, like what where, it, yeah, where like it rips. roughly where it looked like. Okay. He stabbed. This might be between the T9 and T10 ribs on the right okay. side. And so that's low down because you have low down. 12 ribs. Yep. Um, and if they didn't hit her lung, 
They de- they hit her liver. They hit something. <laughs> something got hit when she got stabbed. You would be surprised, actually, about how many ribs cover your liver and not your lung. Yeah. Like when you look on a chest, you want when if you just put your hands on the sides, you would think the bottom of your ribs is where your lungs right. end. Right, you'd but be that's like, oh, my lungs true. go down really low. They don't. No, no, no. Your lungs end. Your liver's all up much in higher, there. and your liver takes up a lot of space behind ribs. Yeah, um, and then at some point in the battle, she also pulls the knife out, which mm. is a thing we'll get to later, um, and you know is hemorrhaging. And then ultimately, the scene where Max like finally reveals his name to her is the scene where she's actively dying. She also has a pneumothorax, so she's, like, gasping for air, and they say she's pumping air into her chest cavity. She's collapsing her lungs one breath at a time. Boy. Back to blood. Back to blood. (laughs) So after he stabs her, he recognizes that she's hemorrhaging blood. The lady tells him again. Yeah. She's, like, he's... From somewhere. She's from presumably where she was stabbed the first time and now the second time. Okay. From both of her stab wounds. Shirley's <laughs> just, just keeps getting stabbed. Actually hemorrhaging blood from everywhere. And they're on a moving car. Yes. Um, and so what he does, because he's a universal donor and she's dying of blood loss, yeah. is he finds tubing from somewhere. I don't remember where it's from. It's just like um, they pick it up. Stabs himself in the arm and then stabs her in the arm and transfuses And transfuses. And you see like, the blood going right through the, this really awfully dirty looking tubing. He also had the needle in his mouth at one point. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, what's wrong with this setup, Deepa? So is it? So the question is like, is this actually possible? So is transfusion from one human to another human possible? Yes. yes. That is definitely possible. They did it in history. And has been they did done it in the 1600s. In history. There's a couple of things to this setup that you would need to make it possible in this particular scene. Right. So one of the things about um, anytime you want to transfuse blood from a person to another, you want you want the blood. Blood is lazy. Okay. All liquids are lazy. It, all liquids are lazy. It doesn't do anything unless it has a good reason to. So the only way to really make it go from one place to another is like to pump it mm-hmm. like a heart does. Or to give it a what we call a gradient or like a pressure differential. So it has to right. go from a high pressure space to a low pressure space. Yeah. Water flows downhill. Yeah. So um, looking at the way that he does it, especially since he's not using – it doesn't seem like he's using that much or intentionally using gravity. Like sometimes gravity can help you. He, um, he's like above her, but he's not making it in a way that like – if his arm, his arm would have to be lower than his heart, right? And then her vein he would have to be, be lower than that. Would have to be lower than that. There's so, actually one moment where he lifts up the other end of the tubing and is telling one of the other women to hold it up, like above where his arm is. So it's yeah, like the opposite. That's definitely not going to work. So you, you can use gravity to try to get right. some blood going. But the other thing is, if you really want to make this work in an emergent way, which is like what she needs, right? Because she's like actively bleeding. Right. So it's different From than somebody who. Just like needs blood because their blood counts are low. This is like somebody who's losing blood, so she needs it to be replaced essentially as fast as she's losing it. Right. You'd have to go from his artery into her vein. So your arteries have a significantly higher pressure than your veins. Your hopefully your vein pressure is low, and if she's losing blood, then her vein pressures are like particularly low. Right. Because she's not. She doesn't have a lot of volume in her body, and so what he would have to do. So he puts it in his like elbow groove. (laughs) <laughs> antecubital it's called fossa. the antecubital fossa, but it's your elbow. It's the your, inside your of your elbow. Elbow opposite. <laughs> your your opposite. Your inner elbow. Antecubital fossa. Uh huh. So he'd have to find the artery in there, which is so the a lot of people get their blood drawn there. Yeah, that's because you have a a vein that 
courses pretty you can see it superficially. Yeah, you can see it. I've always been a pretty good stick, not a hard stick. Um, but the way the, where the artery passes in that place is much deeper right. and harder to just get with what we call a blind stick, which is what you would be doing. Yeah. In He's a hundred percent blind sticking himself. So it would happen from his ar- artery. Now the blood that comes out of him is pretty bright. It it's looks not more like arterial blood than it does venous blood. Venous blood. blood. And I would assume that the venous blood of all these people is going to look very dark because they're very stressed. And in the desert. And there's they're in no the desert. Water. Yeah, they're probably dehydrated. The whole dehydrated. thing is about how there's no water. Yeah. So, so um, you know, your blood is red when it has a lot of oxygen in it and it gets darker as your body uses up the oxygen. If your body is using a lot of oxygen, which will happen because you are stressed out, your heart's not working well, you are dehydrated, then you're the blood in your veins will look darker and darker. So his the blood looks pretty bright, so like maybe it's from the artery and he got lucky, right. but it comes maybe. out pretty fast. He also has a ton of really long tubing. Very long, thin tubing. Yeah, so in an ideal situation, you would use as little tubing as you possibly can just so that the blood doesn't have like all this chance to clot. Blood hates plastic. Yeah. We have to coat uh plastics and things that we use with all this stuff or put things like heparin in the blood so that it doesn't clot because right. blood wants to clot it makes sense right like your your blood is trained to do this like if you scrape your knee it's going to want to clot right. up all your that blood space. doesn't want to leave your body <laughs> so it's trying to help it's you trying out. to keep your humors in yeah okay you, you, you don't want to be your leaching out the humors it's true. on a regular well, basis. They did leach out humors regularly. So but. you have to clot the blood. Yeah. And that's why like animals who the way their venom works is anticoagulation or anti-clotting mm-hmm. works because it doesn't let you clot your blood. Um, so anyway, so you would want to use as little tubing as possible. And he uses like long, windy, very dirty, at least on the outside looking tubing. I mean, I've, it's probably dirty on the inside too. Yeah. It looked, so that's already a and risk. And it's probably not coated. A risk of infection and also definitely clotting. And then on top of that, the way that he, at the very least, the way he puts the, what it looks, what it looks like he puts in Charlize Theron's arm is... No, not a needle. No, it looks like a catheter. It looks like he goes in straight with the catheter. And the catheter is just like the plastic tube piece that's going to be sitting in the vein. But you usually need a needle to get to the vein. If you've ever had an IV, the way that they place those is it's a special needle that has a needle on it and then a catheter around that. And you use the needle... To get to where to you get into go. where you, you like want to go, slide the catheter, and then off. you can slide the catheter off, or and the, the catheter needle retracts, or something stays like that. There, yeah. yeah, and it it does look like he basically just full on uses a catheter, yeah, to, just to go pierce straight her into skin, her which yeah. would not generally into pierce her vein. skin. And then really, they're both going to die of sepsis. <laughs> I mean, Charlize Theron's going mean, to die of blood loss because she got of stabbed overwhelming, twice. Of but, overwhelming infection. Yeah, they're both going to get infections and die. Right. So, um, I mean, I guess technically it is possible if you if you acutely like if Furiosa really acutely needed that blood, probably he did the right thing. Sure. Was to just give it to her and then just deal because right, she's going to like die right then. Anyway. That, I mean, that is that is when it's a emergent situation. Everything it goes a little bit fuzzy around the edges, and you're yeah. just kind of like, I'm going to deal with. You're just going to deal with it, later. whatever. Yeah. But I think the most critical thing is he is. I think getting it in the artery and his artery, right, and getting it out to her vein would be the critical step, right? Because otherwise, it would just take forever. I mean, I think even if that happened, it would still take forever. 
like compared to how quickly she would need the blood. Yeah. Like, even well, if yeah, he because of all of arteries, the tubing. St- yeah. Also because of all the tubing. Yeah. Which is less than ideal. Okay. So, but the, but the big thing of why this would work, barring sepsis and all of the things we talked about, is, is that, that Mad Max universal. is a universal donor. Yeah. So, what does that mean? So, blood typing is really important and very critical to why it's so easy to just give blood to people nowadays. So, we talked about red blood cells. They're like donuts with the hole filled in. <laughs> they don't have a nucleus, which is one of the key things um, about one of the key differences between it and a lot of other cells. But all your red blood cells have on the surface of them things called antigens. Mm -hmm. And an antigen can be anything. It could be like a protein. It could be like a type of a set of sugars. It's just some kind of molecule that's like on that's on the outside that is recognized by an antibody, Mm -hmm. which antibodies are like things that your immune cells make to recognize like badness yeah, and target the badness. And whenever an antibody and an antigen come together it creates this cascade of things that happen so that like you can fight infections and things like that a lot of it is antibodies are like i don't know what this is we're gonna we're gonna attack it bad yeah so there is when people discovered that people's blood has a type what they're talking about is different types of antigens that are on the surface of your red blood cells that are different than what's on the surface of someone else's red blood cells Mm -hmm. and they're all part of like a certain class so the most common and most important blood type is the abo typing and so what that refers to is an antigen called a and an antigen Uh called b Uh so if you for example if your blood type is a it means that you have the antigen A on your red blood cells. But it also means that you have antibodies against antigen B. Right. So you can get blood from somebody else with A-type blood. But if you got blood from somebody with B-type blood, then your body would try to destroy that blood. Right. Because it has anti- you have made antibodies against the B. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's how you get into this category of like universal recipient, universal donor. So if you have type AB blood, mm-hmm. that means that you have antigens for A and B. Right. That means that you have no antibodies. Right. So you can get any type of blood. Right. So the AB is the universal receiver. recipient. So yeah. anybody's blood can be given to you. If you have O type blood which means that you don't have any antigen A or antigen B, but that does mean that you have antibodies to both. That means that the only type of blood that people can give you is other O-type blood. Right. You can't get A-type blood, you can't get B-type blood, and you definitely can't get A-B-type blood. Right. So, but people with O-type blood can be, we'll, we'll talk about positive and negative in a second, but O-type blood is the universal donor. Right, because you don't have any antigens on the surface. Right. So blood typing, so that's that's what we call like the major blood typing. The major blood typing group is like the ABO. And then there's something called the recess factor, which is like abbreviated RH. Mm-hmm. And of that, RHD is like the most important one. And that's where we get the positive and the negative. So you either have it or you don't have it. So like most people will be like, what's your blood type? And they'll be like, A positive. Do you know what your blood type is? It's A positive. Okay. Most Asian people are positive. And blood type A is very common. I don't common. know if I know what my blood type is. It's almost certainly positive. There's some weird thing about, um, like, something about uh, RH positivity is, c- like, confers a resistance to, like, malaria. And so, like, that's why lots of, like, African and in- people of, like, African South Asian origin yeah, like, generally are positive. 
where malaria is. Where the malarias yep. are. So, yeah, I'm pretty positive. I'm A positive. I don't remember when I got it. I want to say I'm B. But I, I am making that up. So I, <laughs> I don't actually know. But yeah, so I the, should know this. I should look this so up. So that one is, is, is important with, um, uh, with babies. Yeah. RH positivity. So if you're positive or negative. So if you, because it causes something called hemolytic disease of the newborn, if the mom is RH negative. Right. And the baby is RH positive because you get your blood typing from your parents. Right. So it's like one of the, it's what we call Mendelian inheritance. It's one of the best examples. It is a With, great example you, because it you, is, it's not like these random mutations that like are incomplete compenetrants <laughs> and like all this stuff. It's right. like you get one from your mom and you get one from your dad and that is what you are. Yeah. And it's possible that in like high school biology, you did something called a Punnett square. Yeah. When you were figuring this out. Like yeah. Mendelian to figure out like if this person were married. Not you don't have to be married to have kids. If this person had kids <laughs> with this person, what are all the range of like blood types right. a parent can and have? And RH is uh dominant, right? Uh probably. So I think you're positive. I mean, it would have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's so if you're so like if you're if the father is positive and the mother is negative and the kid is positive, then the mom will want to make antibodies against the because you know their blood is circulating. Um, yeah, there's a little together. bit of mixing. Like the entire your the entire blood circulatory system of the fetus is not disconnected from the mom, right? That's what the placenta, placenta. is for. Yeah, yeah, which is also is a their miracle. Interface. The placenta is also a miracle. We got to figure out. It is an organ that sustains life. We'll have to find out, find something to talk about so we can talk about the placenta. Placentas. Yeah. I just remember having to deliver the placenta as a medical student and Me never too. wanting to do that again. I thought it was kind of fun. Okay. <laughs> I knew very quickly that I was not meant for obstetrics. Um, so anyway, so usually with the um, so in the past, before people understood this, generally with the first baby, it's not as big of a problem. Right. Because it's just the first time the immune system is like seeing this new antigen. And this is a trend with the immune system in general, not just to RH. But yeah. the first time you see something, your immune system a lot it's of times like, is kind of like it. That looks weird, but I don't know. But I'll like keep it in my pocket. Yeah. But then the next time it sees it, it's like, I know you. Right. But bad. Yeah. Not like happy. Exactly. Like, like old friends right. or something. It's like, I know you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so usually with the first baby, it's not a problem, but it is good to know because if they have a subsequent baby, then you can have all kinds of badness because you will have something called hemolytic disease of the newborn, right? which is the antibodies from the mom are like trying to decide trying to kill off the blood cells of the baby as as they're as they start being produced yeah and the good thing about medical terminology is you can kind of break it down so hemolytic means heme is blood lytic means breaking breaking up essentially lysing right which is bad right breaking up blood doesn't sound like a good thing disease also bad disease also bad newborn is a new baby (laughs) so now though we give um we we give basically an antibody against the antibody in order to stop this from happening and it's called rogam Mm -hmm. and it's made this particular disease basically go away so blood typing is like super duper important because it if you do your blood typing correctly and blood typing is done on like every single patient in a hospital that ever needs a blood transfusion Mm -hmm. ever needs a surgery ever might need a blood transfusion um 
you do it early and quick because that is like most of what blood banks are trying to do is they're trying to make sure that the blood that they're giving you for that particular patient is going to be safe mm-hmm. and effective and not cause like all these other things. Makes sense. It makes sense. All right. So now with all that blood typing. Yeah. So why did we knowledge, talk about blood typing? There's also like all these other antigens that are on red blood oh, cells. We're not true. even going to talk. There's all these like they call them minor, minor antigens. Blood the ABO and, stuff. and the RH are like the major antigens. And then there's all these like minor ones that cause that also can cause problems, but they're usually not as severe. Yeah. So we we talked about blood typing because we really wanted to talk about this idea what we later discovered was called xenotransfusions, which is transfusions between species. Yeah. And the scene that inspired this was Deepa watched Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom way before I did yes. and was like, it was they on put HBO. blood from a T-Rex into a raptor. We have to talk about it. I think this. I texted you like while it I was think happening. You did too. I was like, what is going on? They took blood too. out of the T-Rex and they put it in blue, the Velociraptor. Right. So, so tell us what happens. Don't look at the notes. I am looking at the notes already, (laughs) but here we go. This scene in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is literal bananas. So something, the overall, (laughs) the overall plot of Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom is, or sorry, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is a little bit unclear to me, but has something to do with like, there's a volcano where all the dinosaurs are, they have to like get the... They have to get the dinosaurs off the island, uh-huh. but then, like, the guy who's, like, transporting the dinosaurs is also, like, secretly maybe trafficking the dinosaurs, mm-hmm. like, and but he also, he wants their genetic material, but he seems like he's, like, a good environmentalist guy or something, like, animal rights. He seems like a good guy, but he's, like, not a good guy, uh-huh. and then... The secret bad guy. They take the dinosaurs to, like, this mansion in England? I actually don't know where the mansion is. I don't. It's either England or like Connecticut. I don't remember <laughs> which one it is. It's in a wooded area. But they they take the dinosaurs there, and like there's various like plottings. They try to auction the dinosaurs mm-hmm. at a certain point, um, and then but they're like but like Owen, who is Chris Pratt and Claire Bryce Dallas Howard are like yeah. trying to rescue the dinosaurs. I think. I don't remember what their plan was for the dinosaurs after they rescued them because transporting extremely large animals is not exactly something you can just like do on the fly. Yeah, we'll come back to that because I have a couple comments about that. But the scene is the dinosaurs are each in like shipping containers, basically, and they've been tranquilized. So they have been like given sedatives. Something has happened to the velociraptor where... Yeah, so the so before this, gets shot or something. Yeah, before this, they're they're trying to capture blue specifically because of this weird genetic stuff that's happening in the background of this animal trafficking situation. Right. And so they they get Owen to help them track down blue. They get Owen and Claire to help them track down blue. Okay. And from so, the island. From the island. Got it. So they all go out kind of like on safari, find blue. Owen's trying to like calm blue down, and then instead of waiting for his signal, they like shoot blue with a trank. Which, you know, sets her off and then she attacks one of the people who's there on safari with them. And this guy is like tackled by a raptor, is on the ground and he shoots up at her like she's over him and he shoots up at her. Okay, so that's how she gets the wound. Yeah. Got it. So anyway, they have a veterinarian type. A paleo veterinarian. Paleo veterinarian, which is like not a thing. Nobody is treating dinosaurs. 
Although she also makes the point of saying at the beginning, she was like, "Isn't she just a paleontologist? Like, how well, she, is she a paleo veterinarian? She, she's a paleo veterinarian, but she had never actually seen a dinosaur in real life." So my understanding I guess is in that the world of Jurassic World, where there are exist. dinosaurs, you can be a paleo veterinarian. Fine. Yeah. I rescind my previous shade. Um, <laughs> she's so, also one of the best characters in that movie. She has so. the best glasses for sure. So anyway, so um, Blue is shot, and mm-hmm. she is like. Blue is bleeding. And they need her alive. They need Blue to be alive. For reasons. <laughs> I don't remember what the reason. I mean, they're Genetic very- Genetic something, of, being a very, mother to an endoraptor, lots of stuff. They're very malignantly bonded to Blue. So they're bonded to Blue. They need to save Blue. I mean, they want to save Blue because they love Blue. Yeah. The bad guys also want to save Blue for weird reasons that they, don't like, make any sense. Beatty Wong has his reasons, okay? So- they take. She needs to take the bullet out, and then she's like, "But the only way I can That's... do, or no, she wants to take the bullet out. <laughs> she's like, the only thing I can do is take. I need blood, though, for some reason. Before I do it, she's like, they're like holding pressure, sort of, kind of by like Blue's back leg ish. Yeah, area. It's later revealed that Blue was shot in the leg. Yeah, so they're holding pressure. There's like blood on a napkin, and they're like, she's like, I'm gonna need blood. She's like, I have to get the bullet out, but I can't do it without blood. And so then they're like, okay, what blood can she, she's like, I need a blood from, I need blood from uh, a, a two or three fingered carnivore. fingered carnivore. Yeah. And then they were like, had their like thinking expression. They were all cute about it because she was like, I think there's one of those on board. And then like the next scene, they're in front of the T-Rex. The T-Rex. Yeah. And also the reason that Claire gets volunteered for this task is because she did a blood bank once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they were like, does anybody know how to find a vein? And Claire was like, I, I did, did a blood, blood bank, bank once. once. And, and she was like, like uh, good enough. And I was like, you're the veterinarian. Anybody. First of all, you already you already gave up the pressure holding job. Yeah. To the other kid, the kid with the glasses and he got blood in his mouth. But yeah. then. You're just like, I'm going to stand here while Frankly. I send these other two people to go get blood out of the T-Rex? That's I didn't think about that particular point, but that make, it does it not make any sense. makes no that sense. That this paleo veterinarian also, who's never actually been around dinosaurs before, would pass up this one opportunity to draw to blood a from a T-Rex. To do procedure on a dinosaur? She is the one with the academic career that needs to be maintained here. That's true. <laughs> anyway. She could write a paper about this. She could... <laughs> She could write a book about this. <laughs> so anyway, so she, for some reason, sends Claire and Owen to do this. They get into the T-Rex shipping container. Yeah. The T-Rex is like sleepy face, right? Yes. And so then Owen gets on the dinosaur's right, is like by the neck area, yes. generally. He um, just puts his hands on there and says, I got it. Which also, like, Claire was the one who was supposed to find the van, but whatever. Yeah. Right. He's like, I got it. And then he's like, I have to use both of my hands to put pressure on the vein. So you have to stick Which question it. mark? I don't know what that means. And so then Claire has to like rodeo, get on the T-Rex's back. Yeah. And then has this enormous needle and just kind of like stabs it in the side of the T-Rex's neck. Yeah. And she she did not feel for a vein. No, she didn't feel for anything. She yeah, just like she just stabbed, stabbed it. the T Rex. And then at least they have like what looks like medical tubing, right? So they have like it looks like IV up. tubing. A lot of IV tubing. They have a bag, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And then the blood starts coming out. And then the T Rex starts moving around. And they're like, "Oh my god, we have to go." She also gets a lot of blood out of him. <laughs> it's a lot of blood. It's like, a, it's like three liters. Which of I'm blood. also like, why did he have to hold? Why would you hold pressure on a vein that you're trying to get blood out of? Unless you're, you're trying to hold the pressure above it. 
I mean, it's like the jugular vein, presumably. So anyway, so she gets the blood and then they have to like escape before the dinosaur wakes up. And there's like this moment where he like jumps through his mouth, basically. And then they for reasons, then it just like cuts to, of course, her cutting the skin open. (laughs) <laughs> which it's bleeding a lot it should be pretty open already right <laughs> and uh then she takes the bullet out and then they start a blood transfusion or possibly they start the transfusion and then take the bullet out it's it's hard to say the sequence of events but blue gets blood and they also <laughs> blue gets blood and then everything is fine they literally like immediately once she digs the bullet out she's like She's going to be fine. And I'm like, and you, like don't you don't know, know that, that from this. First of all, you took out maybe the one thing that is preventing blood from just like hemorrhaging through her whole body. And but... also you just gave her so much T-Rex blood. <laughs> like, Three liters. So T-Rex much T-Rex blood. blood. The chances of a transfusion reaction are so, so high. high. So we looked up. So at first when I was like, we should do this. We are like, then, is this even possible? Is it even possible? Guess what? It is. It is possible. Which is pretty cool. Because there was an article written in Slate um, about this actual thing. So it's good to see that there are people that are like our soul sisters. Yeah. Carmen they Russo. They interviewed um, a vet from Australia, Australia. Who has like possibly one of the greatest names. A veterinarian. Isn't it like. Could have. Cuisenberry. Yeah. That's is what good. I'm calling that's it. That's excellent. It's probably not how you pronounce it. It's probably like Caneberry or something. Oh. Like how, like how Duquesne is spelled like Duquesne. Oh, that's right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's probably what it actually is. But uh, Quasenberry is Quasenberry what, is what we're going to go with. Um, She's done like what, over 50 xenotransfusions? Yeah. Like species to species transfusions? Yeah. Because birds, there's so many species of them that you can, you can like never get the right and they don't have blood type and they don't have blood typing for yeah. them. So basically she said that it is possible to transfuse blood. From one reptile into another. They've also done papers where they've transfused blood from like dogs to cats. Yeah. And things and like that. And they describe, like, based on the sort of like kingdom, phylum, whatever, that transfusing blood from a T Rex to a velociraptor would be the same as transfusing from a dog to a cat. Right. Like it would be, yeah. That's like. What is it? They have to be the same genus? Uh, it has to be the same. Because obviously they're different species. They are the same. I don't even know if it's that. Like, I think it's like the order or something like that. It can't be order. Order seems like too high. No, but I. Th- Hold on. I'll look it up. Keep talking about something else. <laughs> okay. So, but the thing about doing xenotransfusions is like what we talked about before is you can do this potentially once and vets will do this sometimes mostly as an emergency measure, right? Because for the same reasons that you would transfuse like blood or blood substitutes into people really quickly is if if you've lost a lot of blood and you need to replace that volume really quickly that's usually when they'll do these species to a different species transfusions um because and and once you do it the one time your body will develop antibodies and it will be basically impossible for you to do it again because when they tried that in animal models i think anaphylaxis happened and then, yeah and the animals died i can't find it i can't remember what it is i think it's genus but we'll double check and we'll put it in the liner notes yeah um you also get hemolysis of the blood that you transfuse because it is literally just kind of a stopgap emergency measure. Yeah. So once the blood's in there, it kind of helps with your intravascular volume. Yeah. And then over the next few days, your body just kind of destroys it. Because we'll destroy it. It's and it'll, it just depends on how quickly they destroy it, of how useful and how, how long it's going to be useful. 
And she even, I mean, she mentions in the article, like, you know, sometimes you just have to do it and just to, like, tide the animal over until you can get them more resources. Which, again, is just kind of emergency situations. That's how stuff works. Like she said in her thing, if you're out in the boonies in Australia, there is no access. That's... And I was like, are you doing blood transfusions in the bush? I feel like that's she whipped off her sunglasses and looked yeah. straight and into the like, camera to say that. If you're out in the boonies in Australia. Oh, my God. Is that bad? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can get into an Australian accent if I do it long enough. I know that I cannot. Yeah. So the other thing we looked into was how do you get blood out of lizards? And I watched some visi- videos today. Oh, I didn't. Um, and Tell me about I couldn't this. find a lizard video but i did find Mm. a snake video and a turtle video Oh, interesting um and what they were based i also learned that turtles and tortoises and terrapins are called colonians colonians which Which is is really funny a cool name it is a cool name because i was like what is a colonian and it is that turtle terrapin tortoise i bet key means something like c-h-e-l as a prefix maybe something to do with maybe their with like shells, shells or something yeah. yeah um but anyway so they so what they were saying was like the best access for lizards so you can get into like the jugular vein they have a jugular vein they have a cephalic vein and they have like ventral abdominal veins so mm-hmm. like on their bellies but as is the case kind of with mice the best place to get it is the tail yeah so that is probably if oh if they really wanted to do something that a took them farther away from the Tyrannosaurus Rex's face. Uh-huh. And B, they could probably like, you know, drag his tail out a little bit so that they were closer to the door when they were doing this. The the, the tail head was vein, on the on the door side though. Yeah, but maybe they could bring the tail past the head. Oh. Like they could even stand outside. I thought it had to be like at the base of the tail. No, no, no. You can do it. So when they did it on the when they did it on the snake. Yeah. So basically it Snake it, is all tail though. well it was a rattlesnake and they did it like just before the rattle (laughs) so the thing about doing it on the tail is that the vein is like basically in the middle and it's basically in the same spot all the time so if you're going to do something blindly then it's like not a bad choice because you're like this is where it is and so I watched a, I watched this girl do it from the tail on the rattlesnake. And she does she does it the same way you would, like, get blood from anyone else. So sure. she had, like, a, a needle on a syringe, and she goes kind of in the middle of the end of the tail and just, like, puts a little back pressure on the syringe and kind of, like, draws back until she sees the flash of blood. Yeah. And then just – they were drawing blood for, like, research purposes. Yeah. They also had put the rest of the snake, like, in a tube. In a plastic <laughs> tube, so that like it wouldn't Aww. move around and like couldn't, you know. I bet that snake was very confused. That snake was real mad. I'm Not sure. A bad day. Um, and then I saw them do it on this like giant. I want to say it was a tortoise. I don't know if it was a turtle or like a giant snapping turtle, or if it was a tortoise. I don't remember. But they also took it from his tail. They like they like flipped oh, okay. him over onto his back. That's so but sad he was like too. sick. He was. They were like getting blood. I mean, I know they're doing it for reasons, good reasons, but, but it they also just got out of the sad. tail. And they did, and he did it in the same way. He was like. Here's a tail. Find the middle. Okay, well, that's, a, that's a, that would be way easier and then, than what they did. And then pull it out. And I was like, oh, this is very interesting. And they and th- at least with the with the turtle, he like scrubbed it with betadine <laughs> ahead of time. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, he's like being clean. He doesn't want the tortoise to get like yeah, more infection. Of course not. Yeah. So the tail is good. Tortoises are cute. And then the other thing we read in our research is that to if you want to give the blood back quickly, sometimes the easiest access is to give it in the bone yeah or what we call intraosseous or ios 
IOs. Yeah. Because sometimes if you put it in a vein that's like really small, it just will take a lot longer. Right. Or sometimes like if it's an emergency and people, we're talking about people, well, I mean, also in reptiles, I guess. Yeah. But if it's an emergency. I mean, Dr. Cuisenberry can probably tell you about all (laughs) kinds of like reptile emergencies. But if you can't find a vein and you really need to give somebody fluid, go into their bone. We have drills in the emergency room for this purpose. Yes. Yep. When people are like trying to die. Yeah. And you need to get something into their body. There was a textbook that we kind of looked at, too, that talked about um, taking blood from reptiles. And they said that they also will sometimes do cut downs because their skin is so tough. Like if you can't access an easy to access spot, um, you'll do a cut down, which what that means is you basically make an incision and you have expose to like the cut, vein. cut the skin open mm-hmm. find the vein and just put the needle directly in yeah. it that's usually something that like a surgeon has to do right and, and we a don't... human a surgeon would typically be oh, the yeah. one to do it and uh it's not it's not it's not something you can just do on a tyrannosaurus rex either probably not without them eating you but also we don't do it very much anymore either because yeah. IOs are much easier to do. And, and we, have ultrasounds. we have ultrasounds. Yeah. And so the ultrasounds are what we use now. If we want to put a you know catheter or something in a vein, you can use an ultrasound, know exactly what you're looking at. The other thing is, initially, Owen is like, he has his hands on there and he's like, I found it. It's yeah. unclear what he found, but y- typically your veins go with your arteries. And so you can usually find certain veins in the body by finding the artery that's right next to it mm. and then aiming for that mm-hmm. spot. Which is what we usually do. Like maybe that's in the what leg. Owen was trying so to I indicate. I think that 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 could have been what he was trying to say. I mean, was, he if, said he had find, to hold because an artery but... is easy to find, right? right? It pulses, right? And so that's what you're looking for. The vein doesn't do anything that you can feel. With maybe your hands. Owen was trying to be landmarks. I don't even know. Anyway, so apparently it's possible to do Tyrannosaurus Rex to Velociraptor. Yeah, but just the well, one, theoretically, just possible. the one time. So. We'll, Blue um, can never have T-Rex blood again. She'll die. I mean, that's as long as that's in her chart, then we will not give her that's T-Rex true. blood again. We will give her correctly typed Based on the security protocols blood. of this park, I don't think they keep good records. <laughs> or at least they're just very easy to steal. <laughs> records. That's also true. I mean, it was very easy for the guy in the first one. To steal the dino and DNA. And it was still very easy for them to steal the DNA again later. You would think that they would be better at just keeping their DNA You'd think locked. they'd be better at everything at this nope. point. Um, so let's talk a little bit real quick about transfusion reactions because that is the key to a successful blood transfusion is avoiding this. Yeah. Tell me about transfusion reactions. So the most severe transfusion reaction is the acute hemolytic transfusion reaction. And that's usually due to... ABO incompatibility, which is getting the wrong type of blood put in you or a blood that's incompatible with yours. And this thing is one that will happen like pretty fast after you start the transfusion if it's going to happen. And the first step. So what it looks like is basically like your blood is being the blood that's being transfused into you is being destroyed by the antibodies that you already have. So you have a lot of hemolysis, which is like blood cells breaking up. Mm -hmm. And it basically looks like sepsis. It's a severe reaction. You get like fever, chills, your blood pressure can go low. You can get something called DIC, which is disseminated intravascular coagulation. Uh-huh. Or co- coagulopathy. Yeah, I was going to say where coagulopathy. You have, like, prob- it like, messes up all your clotting and your bleeding. Um, it's really bad. The first thing you got, what the first step in making this go away is what? Tylenol. Well, stop the stop transfusion. The transfusion. <laughs> it's always stop oh, the transfusion. For this, it is always stop the transfusion. 
you the the first step in treating an acute hemolytic transfusion reaction stop the transfusion and the rest of it fits into the category of supportive care mm-hmm. which is give fluid if they need fluid give Tylenol if they need Tylenol to bring their fever that they probably have down if their blood pressures are getting low give things to bring their blood pressure up they still need blood if they need blood. blood get the right type of blood yep um they and then you know the rest of the body you can have a lot of like you can get uh organ dysfunction all kinds of things from an acute hemolytic transfusion reaction thankfully because we have blood typing and because we have transfusion medicine as its own field of medicine right. that manages things like blood banks and all that stuff in hospitals and out of hospitals, it's pretty, pretty rare to see this. I've never seen an acute transfusion reaction in my I've life. I've never seen an acute. But if you ever practice in like lower resource places or things like that, it is a thing that can happen. You can also have like a delayed hemolytic reaction. It's not as severe as the acute. So this is like a few hours within getting a blood transfusion. You can get delayed reactions where you have antibodies against like those minor antigens that will look similar to this, but like much milder that might happen a few days later. And what it'll usually look like is you being like a little anemic, like having a little bit of hemolysis. And this is what they talk about for the xenotransfusions is like a few days later, you're Humalizing all you're of the like, blood. It's, and, dis- it's yeah. like trying to destroy but the blood But you're out of the emergency window. But like whatever you need for has passed. to get this blood. Yeah. So, so that's that. Um, then there's like an allergic reaction, which is you're usually having, you're not allergic to the blood, but you're having like an allergic reaction to things that are in the blood. So like little antibodies that are like in the plasma that's coming with the blood. I feel like I've never really seen this. And this is like, it's a typical allergic reaction where you get like hives and itching and that kind of stuff. I don't think I've seen it either. And I think that's because what we usually use like in the hospitals, what we call packed red blood cells. And so like the blood is put in a centrifuge and spun down. So it's usually separated from most of like the components of the plasma. But that doesn't mean that like little antibodies can't get in there, you know. So this you usually just treat with what you would treat with an allergic reaction. And you don't have to stop the transfusion. You just give like, you know, Tylenol, Benadryl, Benadryl. Zyrtec, Tylenol, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. The stuff that would make an allergic. It's usually not anaphylaxis. Right. Which would require like epinephrine and have like. And you would probably stop the would, transfusion. You would stop the transfusion and... if someone's having anaphylaxis. Right. Mainly just because you're just like, I can't deal with that right now. Stop the transfusion. Um, then the other bad one. So I'd say acute hemolytic worst. Next uh-huh. worst is probably the trolley, yeah. which is stands for transfusion-related acute lung injury. Which just sounds bad. A trolley? Yeah. A trolley sounds well, delightful. Tro- the, the definition <laughs> that you just gave yeah. of the acronym sounds So bad. transfusion-related acute lung injury, or trolley, is a situation in which you give someone a, a blood transfusion and then this, like, something, something immune system. Right. We don't know exactly what happens. Yeah, but it, it And by happens. we, I mean, not just, like, me and Debo, but, like, in general, <laughs> people don't know exactly why this it happens. It has something to do with, like, immune modulation and stuff in your lungs. But right. basically, like, your lungs get flooded with fluid and you get something called acute, something that's like acute respiratory distress syndrome, where you have, like, fluid on the lungs, your oxygen is low, you can't breathe. It's very bad and very severe. Um, and this one, you also do stop the transfusion right. if you see any signs of it happening. So if this is happening, you'll usually get like low oxygen sats, increasing breathing rate, like tachypnea, yeah. shortness of breath, yeah. respiratory distress. Um, and then usually when you do a chest X-ray, the lungs are like white. Yeah. There's like, and, and it's not everywhere. Supposed to be they're white. supposed to be black. They're supposed but to be But there's like white everywhere. Um, and it can be, and it's, and it usually, um, 
will you have it is again supportive care to try to resolve it you can use like diuretics to get some fluid off the lungs um sometimes you have to get put on a ventilator uh to treat this um but apparently it has generally better outcomes than just regular ARDS oh i didn't know that yeah so um so trans trolley is very bad and then there's also something called taco <laughs> which we don't why are they see? so cute these little acronyms for these things i don't know but we usually don't see taco in pediatrics mm-hmm. um, but i think they do see it in the adult population so it's taco stands for transfusion um associated circulatory overload um mm. and that's basically like you're giving the transfusion and the heart is just not as good as it could be and so because of that it kind of uh you get like buildup of like blood and fluid in your lungs and stuff pulmonary edema um or just edema which is just fluid everywhere um, and so all you really have to, that doesn't mean you have to stop the transfusion or anything like that. You generally just have to give it slower and also give it with diuretics mm. so that you have a way to take the fluid off as you're putting it on. And then the the thing that's probably the most common thing we see with blood transfusion is just getting a fever. Yeah. There's like immune things, gives you a little fever. You just treat it with Tylenol and move on with your life. If a patient has had a blood transfusion, and they had a fever with it. Generally, we will preemptively treat right. them. Give them some For Tylenol. their subsequent blood transfusion say with Tylenol there are patients who have like had fevers and like maybe little rashes with blood transfusion and then for every subsequent transfusion will be like they get Tylenol, always get Tylenol and Benadryl, Benadryl. Yep. beforehand mainly because you're like this isn't severe and I just want this transfusion to go well so right. we're just gonna go for it and also fevers are uncomfortable yeah and so. there are certain patients who get a lot of blood and so you just want to make sure like especially patients who like undergo chemotherapy the Chemo makes their blood counts go really low. Right. So you have to give them blood frequently, and you just don't want every single thing in their life to be a negative experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So those are transfusion reactions. It's a lot. It is a lot, but thankfully, we don't see them that frequently. <laughs> <laughs> because we have blood typing and blood banks. Yeah, blood banks, man. Yeah. Thank goodness for blood banks. Everyone go donate blood. Donate your blood. Um. All right. I think that's... That is it for blood. For rounds? You want to go to the resident lounge? Let's go to the resident lounge. All right. I see that you have something here called Convenient Good Guy T-Rex. Oh, man. I have so many things I want to talk about for the resident Also, lounge. I can't believe that you watch these movies in oh. sequence. I watched them in yesterday one in sequence. Well, oh I started God. with one of them, and I was going to watch the first one and then watch the second one today, like before we recorded. And then I watched the first one, and I was like, let's just watch. I'm already doing <laughs> You're this. You're like, let's I am in this. Second one. I just need to live in this world where people are like, whatever, dinosaurs are normal. So the good guy T-Rex thing is this. I think it's hilarious that basically from the original Jurassic... This is this is my my view of the thought process. The original Jurassic Parks, everyone was like, man, these raptors are really cute. The T-Rex is really cool. Everybody loves them. So instead of making them the bad guy, we're going to make them good guys now and choose new dinosaurs to be, and also human people to be bad guys. And so You mean now, people like the public? Like us? <laughs> yes. Okay, got like it. Like the movie-going public. Moving-going yeah, public. Likes T-Rexes and raptors. Okay. Because who doesn't? But so now in these new movies, instead of having the T-Rex or the raptors be antagonists, the raptors are your buddies. And the T-Rex is just conveniently around anytime Whenever you, you need, need them. Like anytime they're about to, like something bad is about to happen and it looks like a situation they can't get out of, the T-Rex is just conveniently off screen and comes in and like eats whatever is attacking them or something like that. I think, I think there's one scene, I don't remember, I want to say this was in the first one. 
I'm getting them mixed up because I watched them in, at the same time. But the the first one, I think, was the one where he broke into the dome that had all of the carnivorous flying dinosaurs. I didn't know oh, what they yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. But they were like pterodactyls. Are pterodactyls carnivorous? I don't even know. Anyway, they're carnivorous flying dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're th- I remember and that. Yeah. They were attacking all of the park goers. Yeah. And at one point, they were kind of like down near the pier or something, or like next to the yeah. water, and being dive bombed by these. And they like kind of didn't have anywhere to go. And then a T Rex like snapped one, I think, out of the air. <laughs> it was just the yeah. T Rex is just it got conveniently to be, there. It got all to be a little too much, right? Like it, it. They weren't. You know, like you have to. It's weird when they make they turn the dinosaurs into like. Intentionally bad guys. Yeah, not just like creatures. Well, actively bad guys bad and too, good guys right? because they were killing for sport and yeah. stuff in the first movie. Right. They're not just like a creature trying to survive. Right. They're right. like well, one trying specific to thing be is bad. an active bad guy. But and yeah, the T Rex and the Raptor are, are like, like active good guys. good guys. But they like try to paper over that by saying we trained the Raptors. Yeah. Adam and I called it Tyrannosaurus Rex Machina. Oh my god. <laughs> Every time it happened, we were just like, why though? Yeah, there's no Where reason that the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex should have like to take a side in this fight. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing. Yeah. The other thing I just want to say is in this in the Fallen Kingdom movie, I don't understand how their boat or their subsequent trucks were big enough to get any of these dinosaurs to the Lockwood Estate. Because when they had the like vi- the shot of the convoys and stuff, it looked like basically relative relatively normal military transport vehicles that you see in like war movies. Yeah. So like the trucks like with trucks. like the long beds and then the canvas yeah, tops yeah, and yeah. stuff is kind of what the size of the trucks looked like. And I was like, there's no way that a dinosaur the Tyrannosaurus Rex, yeah, specifically. There's, there's no way. Some of the little dinosaurs, fine. sure, sure, but like the T Rex, the T Rex size makes, makes no sense at some point. Yeah, do they have his head sticking out the top? I, don't I remember, remember the Brontosaurus on the big ship, but I don't remember. He was he was also at the end when they're all trapped. They're getting gassed by cyanide. He's in oh he's God. in like that collection of dinosaurs. This movie is a mess. And then I just want to give one shout out to the guard at the gate to the Lockwood estate because literally all the watch people in any movie ever don't pay attention to anything. They have no idea. But what's this going guy on. definitely saw Owen and Claire and called in an alarm. And that's how they <laughs> knew that Owen and Claire was there. And I was like, this guy is like, on top of his job. There's one guy doing his job there's here. This one very competent guy <laughs> on the Lockwood estate just doing his job. OMG. All right. Okay, you're going to tell us why Jurassic Park is the best movie of all time. Jurassic Park is the best movie of all time. Okay, so here's the deal. In med school, I had a med school classmate and friend who also liked watching movies. And he said, I want you to rank your top 10 movies of all time. And I said, I can't rank them. There's just like 10 movies that I like. And he's like, no, <laughs> you have to be able to your rank friends them. are very forceful. And I was like, all right, fine. And so I did what was called a, oh my gosh, what is it called? It's called bubble sort in programming language. Okay. But basically what it is, is you like list make a list of things and then you just do like one versus one and say like which one's better mm, okay. and you just keep flipping them until like you're done doing flips yeah until like you can't do it anymore and that is how jurassic park came out as my number one favorite movie of all time nice and number two was like i want to say either twister or apollo 13 <laughs> and then in the top five was definitely um bring it on but Nice. Anyway, so Jurassic Park. <laughs> like here's the reason. Here's the reason Jurassic Park is like a perfect movie. First of all, 
it was it came out in like 1994 i want to say i have no idea. 94 95 for a movie that came out over 20 years ago it's like the the puppetry and oh the, the little, animatronics the animatronics are so good so good no subsequent dinosaur has looked as real as the dinosaurs in the original Jurassic 100% Park 100 agree movie dinosaurs that is when they peaked yeah and even it was these like because they so use real like cgi dinosaur stuff now no. does not look as good as does that not, T-Rex. exactly yeah the other th- reason it's perfect one they explain the science pretty weird do- pretty well sorry do you remember the cartoon <laughs> yes and he's like dino dna science communication <laughs> it was so good i was like okay i get it they use the frogs they have the mosquito they put it in yeah you're like boom. i buy this bada bing bada boom i buy it then they go, they like see the dinosaur being born, whatever. And you're like, okay, it makes sense. Like this rich guy is trying to make money, but he also like really loves dinosaurs. There's like mm-hmm. a sense of like, this guy really cares about yeah. what he's doing here, believes in the mission. But then you have like Malcolm and you have Ellie Sattler and then you have Dr. Grant and they're like, what did you do, dude? Yeah. This is crazy. Like they are extinct. They are meant to be extinct. And so it's like that, like, okay, let's bring this down to earth. It's not just like dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, dinosaurs. Ugh. Right. I think also because it's not like in Jurassic World, it's like, oh, it's, this place has been open, whatever. It's like these people are here to like make an assessment. Anyway, their characters are all very well defined and very well mm-hmm. hashed out. Also, it's really the scene where like Laura Dern goes and like her hand, her arm is like, nearly shoulder deep in the triceratops poop i'm like oh my gosh hero for life (laughs) she also like has to save the day on a number of occasions oh yeah she's highly all of them are highly competent yes they're all high which is really really even if malcolm's a little annoying but it's like he's not dumb like nobody in that is just like doing dumb things except for the lawyer who gets eaten quickly and that's that's just by everybody telling him not to do dumb things he just kept doing dumb things right nobody can help you at that point also, so. I think because they didn't use so much CGI, did you know that dinosaurs are only in that movie for like 20 minutes? The total like really? screen time of dinosaurs is actually not that high. And that is because Steven Spielberg did such a good job creating the tension of dinosaurs without necessarily needing like 90 minutes of dinosaurs. Yeah. So there's actually not that much dinosaurs, but just the suggestion of dinosaurs like Jaws. in so many ways. Exactly. Yeah. So... Also, when it ends, it ends, it like ends nicely. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're definitely making a sequel because the sequels to that one were awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think that it's one of the movies where I read the book I did after I saw the movie. Yeah. And I was like, I think whatever they changed for the movie was fine. Yeah. There was like nothing really in the book. I do agree that the movie that is I basically needed. like complete. Yeah. Like you can watch it. It's satisfying. You don't need any follow up. Music, it's perfection. Done. Oh my God. The Jurassic Park. John, it's a John still, Williams like, Theme top park five music still gets me yeah every single time yeah yeah i mean i think i i agree can i tell you some reasons why i think fallen kingdom is really terrible <laughs> i was like i don't i thought you were gonna say can i tell you some reasons why i think fallen kingdom is the best movie of all time no i i think the main thing is is it's the counterpoint to that which is that nobody has a reason for why they're doing anything and then the reasons that are provided don't make any sense so spoilers if you have not seen fallen kingdom i'm about to tell you what the spoilers big reveal for is everything and for everything all, we've whole talked podcast. about well, we, I'm, gonna, I'm about to tell you like the big reveal so okay. this is like the big reveal spoiler so if you haven't seen it and you care stop listening for like the next minute or something yeah um I don't know if you remember this part, but it turns out that the Lockwood person, Benjamin Lockwood, Mm -hmm. was Hammond's partner in creating the first Jurassic Park. Benjamin Lockwood has a granddaughter named Maisie, 
who's like the kid because there's always one kid in danger in like each of these movies and it's this one she is not actually his granddaughter. She's a clone of oh, his yeah, daughter yeah, yeah, who yeah, died yeah. in She's a car a crash. I forgot about that whole... They suggest about the clone for, like, like, the whole movie. Well, they suggest it, but it's also, like, why? Because it's really pointless. Like, that has nothing to do with anything. Except, at the very end, she frees all the dinosaurs that are being gassed by cyanide. Because originally, Claire was going to free them. And then Owen was like, if you make this decision, you can't go back. And Claire was like you know, crying because she didn't want to see them die. But she was also like, I can't like just let them out in the world because who knows what's going to happen because we're in Connecticut or England. And it's hard to know like <laughs> what's going to yeah, happen. It is these... hard to know what would happen if yeah. dinosaurs were just walking around. Yeah. And so like he, she's crying and Owen's comforting her and then the doors open and they turn around and Maisie has opened the doors and she's like, they're alive just like me because she's a clone and they're clones. And I was just like, I missed that whole thing. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like, it could have been totally enough that she opened the door and didn't want to see them die because they're animals and we have empathy. Like, it yeah. doesn't have I mean, to like, be We just don't want the clone. animals to die. We don't that want to gas chamber all these the animals. But then also the Fallen Kingdom is like... Just so many callbacks to all of the other Jurassic Park movies. Well, that's what Jurassic World was. Yeah, and we and, already and, did that. They but, literally get into the car from but the it, old like, Jurassic Park. Kind of doesn't make like to the point where it like really kind of doesn't make any sense. And I think that's the other thing that Jurassic Park did really really well is that you really felt like the dinosaurs were animals, right? You were yeah. like these are wild animals like, that, that are doing wild animal things. Yeah. I mean, life finds a yeah. way. Yeah, and you're like this makes sense, right? Yeah. Wild animals are trying to survive. That makes sense. Yeah. When you get to the Jurassic World, we're just a little bit smarter. Sure. They like figure out how to open doors. And and I will even buy, you know, Velociraptors bonding with somebody who raised them from an egg. Like, I'll buy that. Yeah. You know, for the sake of a movie. But but none of the other dinosaurs act like wild animals. They're attacking like things that are way bigger than them. They're just like randomly harass like when they broke the dome for all of those flying carnivorous dinosaurs, I yeah. could see them incidentally attacking some people because, like, they're huge and people are small and they would want to eat like, them. And they were like, we are hungry. But normally, if something like that happens with, like, birds, they just fly away. Yeah. Right? Because they're like, freedom, <laughs> I'm going to leave now. Yeah, and they would just go, like, more in the island. Yeah. They, they wouldn't would just, all go, like, straight to the dock. They wouldn't go straight to the dock and swarm all of the park people yeah. and, like, try to kill them. And then they also wouldn't attack a helicopter. Because, oh, yeah. That doesn't make any sense. they would be like, that thing is also big. Let me leave it alone. That's what dinosaurs... I mean, that's what animals do. Yeah. And the, all of the dinosaurs in both of these movies were constantly like, that thing's huge. I'm going to go attack it for no reason. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. So... You're right. You're right. There's a, and, then, and then ultimately, I think the moral of all of these movies, which really I think the point was driven home with Fallen Kingdom, is that billionaires just mess up the world and then, like, leave the consequences to be dealt with by everybody else. Yeah, I mean... Even though John Hammond is, seems like like a nice guy, like he did create an island full of dinosaurs yeah. that then they've had to deal with for many years. And then in this case, like this millionaire, billionaire person brought all these dinosaurs off of this island to Connecticut or England, and now they're free. And who knows what's going to happen? Who knows? Like, Ugh. I'm sure that there's a third movie. I don't know what it's called, though. You think so? Oh, there has to be. That's probably true. They just told us that she was a clone. <laughs> that's true the, that she's a clone it's gonna be and like also a clone Benjamin army Locke versus a dinosaur ar- like, army he was killed by that guy yeah so now like and at the end of the movie she's like hugging Claire and Owen and I'm like do they just have a kid now is that how this works <laughs> just responsible for this little girl he was like I did not sign up for this I signed up to 
rescue dinosaurs from trafficking, yeah. not raise this 11-year-old. Yeah. Who's also a clown. She talks about that a lot once it's revealed. <laughs> so It's like, geez, Maisie, we get it. You're a clone. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they were fun movies for they're a lot fun. of reasons. They're watching but they're they're a ton of, ton of money, movies. so they're obviously making more like, of them. They're not the best movies. <laughs> they're definitely not the best. They're they not go. even necessarily the most coherent movies, but they're pretty fun. No, they were fun. The action sequences are good. Some of the fights are good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it's okay. kind of interesting. Anyway. So... What do you what do you rate these movies now that we've talked about them? All right. Mad Max gets a nine out of ten for guaranteed sepsis from a blood transfusion. Oh, I mean, that's like a ten out of ten guaranteed <laughs> sepsis, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe they've got like you know, they have sunlight at least as a disinfectant. Um and then Jurassic Park Fallen Jurassic Kingdom. World. Jurassic World. <laughs> Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom gets a I'm going to say a 7 out of 10 for a T-Rex to Velociraptor xenotransfusion. Hmm, that's higher than I thought you would give it. Yeah. Okay. I was like, okay. I mean, the the it gets like a 1 out of 10 for <laughs> the procedure. Sure. The cut the lack of cut down blind stick blood draw. Okay, gets a 1 out of 10. Gets a 1 out of 10. Okay. I give Mad Max also an I'm going to say a 5 out of 5 blood bags. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just a great movie. I think it's a really good movie, and I enjoyed it a lot, even though he stabbed her in the side. Maybe, okay, maybe I'll take away half of a blood bag <laughs> for stabbing Charlize Theron on the other side the of her body side. for oh no reason. Um, and then Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I give it five out of five baby blues, because she was really cute. And I give it one out of five floppy Chris Pratt's escaping from lava. <laughs> oh yeah oh my gosh i forgot that he had Chris to escape Pratt slowly lava. rolling his body all floppy <laughs> away from encroaching lava oh for my believability gosh. That, that movie is a disaster <laughs> yeah. oh, anyway gosh. okay so that's all we have about blood and also dinosaurs um thanks for listening and we'll see you next time Thanks for listening to Doc's Watch. You can subscribe to our medical ramblings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Doc's Watch Pod or visit us at docswatchpod.com. <laughs>